One Hundred Men by Hazel Houston. Chapter Four. Lecturers and Lecturers. What would a Bible college be without staff and lecturers? CLBC have had a variety of both. The opening days were guided by the founder, Frank Houston. He served as principal for the first year at the board's request, and under his direction, the college took its shape. He fitted lectures into the already busy schedule demanded of a church pastor. He was never too busy to see to the needs of the students or to give counsel and help when it was needed. Over the nine years since he relinquished the principal's responsibilities, he has maintained a personal interest in the students. At that time, he adopted the title of founder and director, and has remained the director ever since. The experience of thirty-three years in the ministry have provided numerous illustrations for Frank Houston's lectures. He has shared the reasons for his failures. As well as the secrets of his successes, always he has sought to lecture in the spirit. For well he knows that it was the Holy Spirit who lifted him out of failure and ill health, bringing him into a fruitful ministry. Never get out of the train while the train is in the tunnel, he warns his students. Not only does he look on these people as part of God's vision, but as spiritual sons and daughters whom he loves and for whom he desires God's best. Many graduates have expressed gratitude for Frank Houston's patience and encouragement. Many are in the work today because of it. If he has loved lecturing, students have loved his lectures. Long-winded but enjoyable, said a college graduate who happens to be his son-in-law. It took a miracle to get the college's first dean into the country. Frank Darcy, musical director at Elim Bible Institute in Lima, New York, was so sure that God was calling him into this country that he resigned from Elim before he had received a call. He had no money, no invitation, and no definite plans. He described his coming to New Zealand as the fitting together of the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. He first heard of New Zealand from Des Short, who went from here to study at Elim. Then he met Frank Houston and heard about the Bible college he planned to open. This was it, he felt. So did the college board, and they sent him a call, which he accepted. Time was short, so he made immediate application for the necessary papers to enter the country. They didn't come. Assurances from the New Zealand embassy in the states brought no results. Urgent cables and inquiries here still brought no results. It was a test of faith. With one day left before the Iberia sailed, the papers still hadn't arrived. Frank Houston felt an urge to contact the office of the Minister of Immigration. At nine in the morning, he put the call through. By five at night, Frank Darcy had permission to come to New Zealand. College had begun by the time he arrived. Quickly, he slipped into his place as musical director of the church and college. He eked out his allowance by teaching music. The front rooms of the hostel were turned into a flat for his living quarters. Not a satisfactory arrangement, but these were pioneering days, and staff accommodation was in short supply. It was a real promotion when he became dean and moved into a flat upstairs. As dean of the college, Frank Darcy supervised the students and was responsible for seeing the rules were obeyed. He was often seen going round at lights out time, dressed in his red dressing gown. Naturally, he became known as the Red Dean. He was also known for his ability to catch up on the night forages of sleepless students. One lass, failing to make the bathroom before lights out, headed in the direction in the dark. She put toothpaste on her toothbrush and face cream on her hands and crept towards the bathroom. There was the dean checking lights were out and that no students were studying. 
She slipped into the bathroom quickly to brush her teeth, only to discover face cream on her toothbrush and toothpaste on her hand. Anything was better than being caught out of her room at that hour. Frank Darcy lectured on church history, music and Bible background. Ah, that was the lecture delivered with speed and sprinkled liberally with dates. How I hate Bible background, one student protested. Beastly Bible background, she kept muttering under her breath. What do these dates have to do with the soul of man? One day, one of the wags in class called out to her. What do you call these lectures? She told him, but he pretended not to hear. He asked her again. Beastly Bible background, she replied more loudly. She turned around. There at the back of the classroom stood Frank Darcy, listening as the boy well knew. But anyway, lecturers seem to know what students think of lectures. Reverend David Edmonds joined the college staff that first year. He was a spirit-filled Methodist minister, feeling the pressure from his denomination because of his charismatic experience. He felt it was time to resign his church and gladly became involved in CLBC. He taught homiletics. That is where the would-be preachers learn the art of preaching and have to preach to fellow students. Memories of those classes rankled in the minds of many students who all thought they preached the best sermons. Then after criticism by fellow students vowed they'd never preach again. But David Edmonds criticised the critics. He included prayer and evangelism in his lectures. After David Edmonds left at the end of a year, Frank Houston took over these lectures and has continued them ever since. At the beginning of the second year, Reverend Cecil Mulvar was invited to join the staff as a tutor to replace David Edmonds. Within a month, he found himself occupying the chair of the principal. Nothing changed, he declared, except there was a lot more work. His Irish wit was to lighten many a sober subject. He found himself preparing in the morning for the afternoon's lectures. Others have found themselves doing the same thing when they first became lecturers, a new role to some. Following serious surgery, Cecil Mulvar gave up the principal's job and became Dean of Theology. In July 1971, when a call came to pastor the church at Pakarunga, Auckland, he resigned from CLBC. His lecturing and Irish wit was sadly missed. His place was taken by Reverend Lloyd Avril, who inherited a college which was steadily growing. The year he took over, there was a student body of 43. Working with Pastor Mulvar, now Dean of Theology, the new principal built on the foundations laid. He retained the original concepts to provide training for young people which would fit them for any ministry the Lord called them to. Students loved his lectures as he related them to 40 years in the ministry. After Cecil Mulvar's departure for Pakaranga, Reverend Neil Hetrick was appointed as Dean. He had a background of school teaching and was an advisor on deaf children. This experience he found extremely helpful in college life. These two men worked together over a period of four years. Then a bomb fell. Lloyd Avril had received and accepted a call back to Brisbane, Australia, to pastor a church he had worked in some years before. What would we do? Very clearly, the Lord revealed his will in this, as in other matters. Neil Hetrick should become principal and a new dean found. One name dropped into the hearts concerned with selecting a man to become dean. Paul Harrison. God had already spoken to him about CLBC, and he was ready to move from his church onto the college staff. Students would hear Neil Hetrick say, and that's the end of the matter. During these years, there were others on staff who lectured regularly. Bruce Uren, Associate Pastor, Ian Clark, National Secretary of the Assemblies of God in New Zealand, whose favourite saying, praise be to God, was often quoted. David Chislett of the 1975-76 era was a popular lecturer. 
He never spoon-fed us but made us think, was how he was summed up. Jack Stradwick also took a series of lectures. The first secretary registrar, Miss Skilleter, or Mrs Margaret Moody as she now is, lectured on child evangelism along with Mrs Helen McGee. These two women brought a wealth of practical experience in that field into the classroom. Mrs McGee loves to tell of the students who talked through one of her lectures, so she applied the rules she has been teaching. The guilty students had to prepare suitable pictures to illustrate the story as a penalty. The resulting pictures were skillfully done and have been used many times since. Others who have lectured in the college's life were Trevor Chandler, Gilbert Dunk of the Ellen Fellowship, and Cecil Marshall, at that time the Anglican Hospital Chaplain at Lower Hutt. Others who have spoken from their own time and experience have been Don Crosby of the Wellington Assembly, Neville Johnson of Queen Street, and Des Short of Faith Bible College, Tarunga. Journalism, which has included publicity, newsletters, hints on writing and advertising, has been the prerogative of Dan Chapman, pastor journalist. Every opportunity is taken to use visiting ministries and some well-known names appear on the list. Romans became an unforgettable book to those who heard Mr. Frank Carlyle lecture on it. He made sure that they not only knew it doctrinally, but inspirationally as well. The time Derek Prince visited the college, the spirit moved so that the afternoon was not long enough to pray for all the students. And Dr. Butler, who on one occasion had a special word for the girls with a specific call on their lives, inspired those who sat in on his classes to walk close to God. There was Sonny Blundell, a child evangelist, Robbie Robinson of the Canadian Embassy, and Andrew G., a missionary to his own Chinese people. Hal Herman, the ex-Hollywood film photographer who kept referring to the principal as the professor. Sam Sasser of USA. Totally inspiring, someone said. David Newington from South Africa. There was a laugh a minute the day he lectured. Gerald Rowlands and Leo Harris from Australia. Ern Baxter and others too numerous to mention. The students had them all summed up. Some lecturers were stimulating and provoking, some long-winded, others predictable. Yes, some were boring and some were hilarious. Some were particular about spelling, grammar and punctuation. Some lecturers were described as a breath of fresh air when students were getting bogged down. Others were guilty of waking up students taking an untimely nap. All added something to the development of the students. Lecturers have come in for a fair bit of ragging. Take, for instance, the evening lecturer who would insist on going overtime. The students went to one lecture with a number of alarm clocks set to go off at two-minute intervals. 9.30 came around and the first one rang. Two minutes later, the next. Ten clocks made the point. One angry lecturer continued that night, but finished on time after that. Nicknames for lecturers have been used in private and sometimes in public. There was Smiley, the Bishop, the Red Dean, Snoopy, and some not to be repeated. These were the lot of residential lecturers only. Well, as far as it is known anyway. Pastors, missionaries, evangelists, all have shared with students giving a broad view of the many ministries in the work of God. Matrons have lectured on etiquette, an unpopular but necessary subject. One student of the first class declared he would never enjoy eating again. Some of the resultant discussions have been most intriguing as when all the theories of the second coming of Christ were presented and the students were left to search for their own answers. They talked and argued for hours, but that's the way of students and lecturers. I'm Laura Hamilton, and you've been listening to 100 Men by Hazel Houston, Chapter 4, Lecturers and Lecturers on Reading Hillsong.